Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. It's, a, it's an exciting day in the cycle of our, of our learning. Um, we're beginning the book of, of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is an exciting book. It, it's, it's an intense thing that the Torah does to follow Genesis with Exodus, like one great epic, followed by another maybe greater epic, or at least greater in, in scale. The book of Exodus is, is kind of majestic, majestic, and there's revelation and there's miracles and it's grand. And every year I feel struck by the, by the power, the power of it. Um, but today is a gloomy day in Los Angeles. It's, it's raining, we're getting some, some well-needed rain, but it definitely today feels particularly overcast and dark. And, um, and we're also very conscious uh, here in, in LA, and I think now at this point across the country of this um, Omicron spread that's spiking um, sickness once again. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a gloomy time here at the, at the end of the year. Um, though, we, we will, though we comfort ourselves inside from the rain and we comfort ourselves with words of Torah, um, with gatherings like this, as we, have, as we have learned how to do in times when we have to, to be inside. Um, so, uh, so uh, of course, I just want to start by dedicating our learning to, um, to healing. Torah is, is considered a healing force, mirape. It's mirape lashon. It heals our tongues as we speak it. And hopefully our learning like somehow transforms us, transforms the world, creates healing in the world. Um, but because of the mood in the world and, to, and, and on this day, I want to look at um, not the majestic exodus, not the grand, not the uh, epic exodus, but the gloomier parts of exodus, the undercurrent of exodus, the, um, the darkness in exodus. And there is darkness in exodus. It is, a, in, I think, in some ways more than 
Genesis, which has its, has its terrors. Exodus is, begins as we head into a regime of oppression. And there's death immediately, death of children, death of death. It's a, it's a Exodus in, in some ways is a, is a horror story. So, um, so I want to tap a little bit into that with you all today and looking um, at, <laughs> I say there's a lot I know, but one of the strangest stories in the Torah today, um, a little story that snuck in there in the fourth chapter of Exodus, and it is really a horror story. Okay. Um, I want to also, uh, we'll, we'll get started, but I want to just um, introduce Vera Blossom, who is um, here adminning for us. Um, that's Vera. Hi, Vera. Um, adminning for us today. Really appreciate her and uh, generally appreciate her because she is also the um, editor on the podcast. Uh, so I've been working with Vera now for, for uh, I guess, 12 weeks, right? Because we're, we're 12 weeks in. And, um, and just does a wonderful job, all the like breaks and music. I used to do a podcast just on my own in the closet and it just does it so awful and Vera really makes it sound professional. So, um, so she'll give you a link to the podcast if you haven't checked it out yet. It's the same material that we do here, Parsha material. So really grateful to Vera for her work on the podcast and, uh, and for being with us today. Um, and, um, and with that, let's say a blessing and then we'll head into our learning just a blessing over the practice, this practice that we have of studying, studying Torah together. It's one of our spiritual practices. Okay, so here we go, here we go, here we go. So um, I'm mostly gonna just uh, take us into this scene, um, but we'll just, we'll just need a little context. And um, I won't tell the whole story of Exodus, but Mo Moses is born and Moses, seems to have something special about him from the start and Moses is saved and Moses is raised in, in the palace of, of Pharaoh. And a lot of this stuff is so, so culturally iconic that it's, that it's familiar to us. And then Moses um, gets in trouble with Pharaoh and flees to Midian where he meets um, the daughters of, of, the, of, of, of Jethro, um, who is the, the, the priest of Midian, we're told. The priest of Midian, Kohen Midian. It's like has some sort of like other kind of religion or or spirituality going on, and um, and Moses marries uh, one of Jethro's daughters, Zipporah, who will be a major player in our story today. Zipporah, uh, that name means bird, by the way, in case it, um, and uh, a very common, very pretty name in Jewish tradition, Zipporah. Um, so. Like you know, Tsipi Livni, that's from Tsipora, right? So if, you, if the name is 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 from is is new to you. Um okay, so lost myself in the name Sipora. So so he marries Sipora, and then he has the vision of the burning bush. Goes out into the desert and he's tending sheep, and all of a sudden it's God, and God's like, time to go back to um Egypt. You're going to deliver my people Israel. And I'm going to take him to the land of milk and honey. All that stuff is right, comes out right quick in these first chapters. Moses's life, after all, doesn't really get started until he's an older man. Like it, it, it's, he goes and he leaves and then he has to come back to, to, to Egypt. Okay, that's all the introduction we need. God, he, Moses has this revelation and then he goes back to his father-in-law, Jethro, and he says, hey, 
I just had this revelation and I have to go. And Jethro is amazing. This is a, becomes a very, um, a, a very important figure in the Torah, the outsider, non-Israelite, who's very kind of wise and friendly with the Israelites. Jethro says, okay, you got to do what you got to do. I'm a priest after all, I, I get revelation. And Moses goes, and that's sort of where we're going to pick up. And what we're going to look at is uh, a, a scene that happens on the way back to Egypt. And, um, and we, we, a scene that has in it the phrase, the sort of horrifying phrase that, that we titled the class with today, which is um, a bridegroom of blood, a bridegroom of blood. So um, let's take a look at the bridegroom of blood. And um, um, I'm going to give you a source sheet. And then we're going to read this piece from, from chapter four of Exodus. And we're, I'll, I'll unpack it for us a little bit. And then we're going to ask the question, if we have a kind of a guiding question, we're going to ask that there's, a, there's, a, there's an attempted murder in this scene. And I guess we're just going to ask the question, who's killing who? It's not, it's not even clear what's happening, but there is somebody trying to kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's take a look. Um, so Moses goes back to his father-in-law, um, Jethro, and he says to him, let me go back to my kinsmen in Egypt and see how they are faring. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. You notice the, the name changes, the Yeter and, and, and Yitro. Jethro is a guy who seems to have a lot of names. Okay, that's, that's, uh, that's another thing that's, that happens, but for another time. So, um, so Jethro says, go in peace. Um, the, then this in itself is strange because, and, and I, you know, what we are going to look at is just this piece at the end here, just this last paragraph, but, but I want to give us a little bit of a lead into it because Moses has just had the revelation at the burning bush, a long chapter, long dialogue, conversation with God, the likes of which no one else has ever had. And I want to just repeat that. There has been prophecy before. People have been in dialogue with God before. But when Moses starts at the burning bush, starts just like talking back and forth. Abraham had a touch of that when he debated with God, but it was just one topic, a short kind of back and forth negotiation, and it was over. Moses is now, there's a, you can tell, it's a, a Moses on a different level. Moses is talking to just having a long conversation back and forth. Well, tell me about this. Oh, here are some signs you can perform. Moses has a, and indeed, Moses will be the greatest of the prophets. Okay, so I guess it's not surprising, but... But, but at this moment, it is, it, it is surprising that God is already, God just finished talking to, to Moses, and now God says another thing, and then, then God will say another thing. So just look at the rhythm here of, and God said to Moses, and God said, it almost seems interrupting. So here, take a look. Okay, so um, uh, Moses went back from God, and then God said to Moses in Midian. So he had been out in the desert, and now he's back where his father and but God is now visiting him again and says, go back to Egypt for all the men who sought to kill you are dead. And that's primarily the Pharaoh. And I guess whoever the Pharaoh um, had sent after him because he killed an Egyptian. Okay, but that is a little funny because he's already, uh, God's already told Mo uh, um, Moses to go back to Egypt for, for you know, reasons of salvation and redemption. And now, now God's just saying it's safe. I don't know, maybe there was a time elapse there where Moses was waiting until these men were dead. I don't know. 
But Moses then took his wife and his um, sons and mounted them on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God with him. What a great phrase in English, the rod of God. Okay. <laughs> and then the eternal speaks to Moses again. So it's like, it's as if that, that happened. And then there's another, I don't know, is it on the road or is it the next night? But, but, or, or is it just a little while later? Whatever. God is talking to Moses again. And God says, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the marvels that I have put within your power. I will, however, stiffen his heart so that he will not let the people go. This is like one of the great dilemmas of the Torah. Lots of ink has been spilled on the quail. Why would God do that? But we're not gonna, we're not gonna treat much of it today. But I do want us to really pay attention to the next thing God says, because it will be very relevant to our attempted murder case. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the eternal, Koamar Hashem, Bni Bechori Yisrael, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son. I have said to you, let my son go that he may worship me. Not usually it's shlachet ami, send away my people. In this case, shlachet bni, my son. And, you know, I, I try usually um, to opt for a genderless translation when something could refer to, like the children of Israel refers to men and women. So I might say my child, but in this case, it's important to hang on to the gender because we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking, we're going to be trying to identify uh, uh, characters, all of whose, whom seem to have a male pronoun, okay? Let's put it at least that way. So I'm going to hang on to the male, the male gender here in the, in the original Hebrew um, for pronouns and for even translations like this. Israel is my firstborn son, and that's going to matter. I have said to you, let my son go that he may worship me. Yet you refuse to let him go. Hine anochi horeg et bincha bechorcha. And so I will now kill your firstborn. I will now slay your firstborn son. Now, that's strange in itself. That's a kind of an interruption. It's like jumping to the end of the story. That's the 10th plague. That will release all the people. Moses has got the whole message, and he will get the plagues one after another. In fact, he will be told about the plague of the firstborn son way at the end. But now it's like on the road, God suddenly announces, this is really what you're going to say to Pharaoh. Israel is my firstborn son. Let Israel go, and I'm going to kill your firstborn son. That's like, first of all, the sort of worst part of the plague story, the idea that, you know, the chil that children died and the whole thing is, is unsettling, but give us at least a build. Give me nine plagues before I have to think about it. But God's already mentioning it on the road. Now, why? That's a great question, but surely it will become um, an even stronger question after we see the next scene. And this is really our subject for today. I'll read it, and then I'll ask you to try to figure out a little bit what's going on here um, and, and before we go look at, at other commentators. So um, here's the scene. 
at night, at a night encampment, sorry, at a night encampment, so literally, they were on the road at a hotel. And uh, at a night encampment on the way, the Eternal encountered him. That we have, Adonai, the Eternal, God. But who, who is him? The Eternal encountered him and sought to kill him. Sought to kill him. The internal, the eternal encountered him and sought to kill him. Met him there on the road and and sought to kill him. Okay, that's <laughs> there. It is sought to what? What was that? First of all, obviously why, but more immediately who? So Sipora took a flint, a little rock, and cut off her son's foreskin. She cut off her son's foreskin and touched his legs with it. Saying, and this phrase is, this is where we got our title, but it's Zipporah that gives us this phrase. And this is our other big question of the day. What does this mean? For you, you are a truly a bridegroom of blood to me. Now, okay, and I'll just read the last. And and here's another here's another male pronoun. Vayirefmimenu, and when he let him alone, when he when he released him, as Amra, then she said, Chatandamim lemulot. A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, this is almost in, in it's almost in, in, incomprehensible. Bobby, I, Bobby, we can hear you. You're not muted. Um, so, okay, so there's, that's where we are. We end on this most mysterious note. Oh, it's a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision, because la mulot. Okay. Oh, now I'm totally lost. I, I hope you are too, or I hope you maybe you're not. Um, we're gonna try and have to. We're gonna have to figure out what that phrase is doing here, and and we're gonna try to figure out what did Sipora know, like know that she knew how to save someone by circumcising. In this case, we have the identified. Um, uh, uh, identified party she circumcised her son though she has two sons okay but which son um but let's just start with the question what's going on here how about that question um but more specifically um if you if if you need to really like think on one specific question who is god trying to kill in this scene, who do you read God as trying to, because you have various options. I will soon tell you what Rashi thinks. If you have your source sheet, you can look at what Rashi is. Who do you think God is trying to kill? And then we'll ask why the heck God is trying to kill anyone. Elizabeth, nice to see you. Do you want to uh, unmute? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think God is trying to kill his son, Gershon. Um, and I think, uh, what Sipora does is a little bit of magical thinking um, 
of saying, well, maybe if we do the covenant according to your religion, that will save our son. Um, because it's because of him and, and me not following the, the Hebrew uh, uh, ways that, that God's wrath is upon us. And we've seen this in other places. So that's, that's what I interpret that as. Great. That is a very strong read Elizabeth gives us. Because um, we basically got three options. And um, Elizabeth reads this. And, and, and even as we have three options, we're really talking about two basic options. Is it Moses or is it a child that God is trying to kill? Would, would be very, very different scene, right? Um, so um, Elizabeth suggests it's, it's, it's a kid. It's Gershom, Moshe's son, who Moshe has not circumcised. And so, um, and so they can't, and, and Elizabeth starts then uh, extending the thought. So then why would God do this? Because they can't go back and, and, and labor and, and revolutionize on behalf of the covenant if this child hasn't been brought into the covenant. So it's, if you're going to be an Israelite, now it's just not going to work. The child has to be circa and Sipora clicks into that. She says, oh, this is what it is. And now, first of all, how did she know? But um, Sipor clicks in and says, oh, you know what? If there's a threat here, it's probably because we haven't yet brought our child into your thing. I know you have a thing. Let's do it. And the child will be safe. And Sipor is right. What, whatever, we have to figure out what Sipor is thinking. But whatever she's thinking, she's right. She saved the day. So, okay, so that's one theory is that it's Gershom, um, Moshe's son. Um, but if, if and, and so far I, I heard Ari mostly agree with that it is, that it is probably the, the easiest read here is that the God, that God tried to kill this child and then, um, and then, and the child had to be circumcised and then uh, Zipporah did it and knew it. But that's not, but but the, but that's not the actually the reading that Rashi gives us, and I want to give us Rashi's reading now because all of the thinking about Ari's, you know, thinking about Mos Moshe's identity conflict, his own reckoning with where he belongs and where his children belong, the, all of those things are um, are relevant here. How is is Moshe, is Moshe in other words? bringing his child into the covenant. And Rashi, um, obviously also thinking about the circumcision here, that's clearly at the center of this drama. Rashi, um, like Ari, thinks that, that, that Moshe is struggling with some of these identity questions, but Rashi therefore concludes that it is Moshe that God is trying to kill. So take a look at this. Rashi says, um, um, and, and, and God sought to kill him. Who is it? Who did God seek to kill? Moshe? Moses. Because he had not circumcised his son, Eliezer. Interesting, by the way, that um, Elizabeth chose um, Moses' older son, Gershom, and, um, and, the and, and Rashi 
thinks of the child as the other son, Eliezer. Let's, we'll return to that in a second, but let's just repeat. Rashi's answer here is that God sought to kill Moses because Moses had not circumcised his son. Listen to this language. And because he had been neglectful in this, almost like the language is almost, you know, in modern Hebrew, rashlanut is, is laziness. So almost like he had been, you know, like neglectful is, I guess, the, like sort of like not thoughtful to this, not careful to this. He had not circumcised his child. And that is why he's being punished. In fact, the way the Talmud introduces this is to say, gadol milah, uh, 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 great is circumcision. It is such an important commandment that even Moses, who was such a great person, God sought to kill him because he had been neglectful of this one command, as if to sort of making a rhetorical point, whoa, circumcision is so important. But back, but back into the Torah, we have to ask the question, is it so important? Well, yes, I mean, as, 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 as folks have said so far, it, does, it is actually, after all, the sign of the covenant. We call it a breach. That language is covenant, right? It's not, you know, it's, it's a breach milah, the covenant of circumcision. So there you have um, a debate, a debate that exists in our group. It, did God, just in terms of the facts of the case, did God try to kill the child because the child wasn't circumcised? Or did God try to kill Moses, Rashi wants to say, as a punishment for um, uh, the, the child not being circumcised? Very different kind of um, intention, motivation here, that Rashi is, I, I, I agree so far with you that it, it seems easier to imagine that it's the child because it's the circumcision of the child that saved whoever it was, but that's not the way Rashi reads it, okay? One more piece of information before I turn it back out to the group, which is that you, you noticed that Rashi named Eliezer Moses's second son, but Elizabeth <laughs> named Gershom, Mo Moses' first son. And in many ways, Elizabeth's answer makes more sense because Gershom is Moses' firstborn son. So it just sort of fits the, and you know, what, why, why would he have, why would he have, circumcises first one, but not circumcises the second one. But actually, that ends up being um, the preferred answer in the Talmud. And the Talmud has a debate. Was it Moses or was it, and they don't consider Gershom, they consider Eliezer, because they figure, oh, that's the newest son. And they just hadn't had time. They go through this whole narrative of, oh, it was like right at that time, and they had to go, and it was, it was, he, was just, he was just eight days old. And that explains it a little bit, that Moses would, would neglect this commandment. But God says, no, 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 you got to do this no matter what. Okay, so now three possibilities here. Did Moses not circumcise his children at all? And let's remember here, because here's another reason Elizabeth's read is so very strong, is because Moses, when he named his firstborn uh, son, um, Tzipora bore a son whom he named Gershom because he said, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. Ger, um, the language of ger is the language of stranger, ger shom. Okay. So there is a way in which we can, with Gershom, we can really ask the question, was Moses 
losing his identity and not bringing his children into the covenant, or more rabbinically, can we say, no, it was Eliezer, the youngest son, he just hadn't gotten to it yet, but it matters on a technical level, right? Or um, Rashi gives us another option, which is maybe Moses wanted to kill God because, I mean, sorry, <laughs> that's a, a weird, I don't know if it's a Freudian slip, but it's a slip. God wanted to kill Moses because, uh, because Moses had been neglectful. Now we got lots of options, okay? So let's turn back to our our uh, our interpreters. Uh, let's start with Noah. Paul. Yeah, this one's very interesting. I first thought that maybe God isn't physically killing anyone, but more ritualistically, like killing the soul that had been dwelling in the foreign land of Midian, Egypt, etc., within Moses and within his family, because they were raised within that culture and that's what they knew whether it was Moses from the Egyptian palace Zipporah in the Midianite high priest household now they're ritualistically affirming that they're going to be following this new path and I think with Rashi and Eliezer I think it's like a similar thing to Yaakov Avinu switching his hands to bless Ephraim and Menasha giving the younger ones the more dominant blessing. And here it's like the younger ones carrying on that birthright and being involved with the people. Mm. That's really interesting. Okay. Noah, Noah very, very quickly takes us to a very symbolic place. That is, Noah suggests we might read this story. As a, as, 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 as a kind of symbolic narrative where God is seeking to kill the Egyptian in, 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 this, in, in Moshe or, or the foreigner in Moshe. The out, the Moshe, after all, has kind of an outsider status from the jump because he's sent down the river away from, and that's just a part of who he is. And in this uh, crossing the threshold back into Egypt, he cannot go as a, a, a semi-Egyptian. He has to go as a, as, a, as a member of this covenant. And the way that Moshe enacts that killing of the Egyptian in him is through this ritual. But then stop for, the, for a minute and consider the, the sort of terrifying but fascinating implications of Noah's reading here, which is that circumcision then becomes, why well, it's such a weird ritual to begin with, right? Like lots of people don't even think of it as barbaric, but what is it? It's a kind of a little killing. It's a kind of a killing of the foreignness. That is what it comes to represent, right? The arelim are the outsiders, the foreigners, right? The, the uncircumcised seems such a strange way to identify another. But then again, that's, it's a mark. It's a mark of identification on males, right? So, so then, then this whole scene, whether you take it, like, take it to be read as, as literal or in this more symbolic realm that, um, that Noah's describing, that, that's a, a really interesting kind of implication there that Moshe is 
that God is trying to purge this family of some, of some foreignness. And it's, yeah, the, it plays out on the child, but it is the pair, it's, it's Moshe most of all, but also Tsipora, because Tsipora is the daughter of a foreign priest. And yet she's the one that saves the day as if saying, no, no, I'm in this covenant too. And that's in some ways, another way of reading this is God drawing Tsipora into the covenant. Zipporah circumcises her son. Do you know that the mitzvah of circumcision is by tradition placed upon the father? That's like, that's the whole idea. Some people say that you can't have a woman mohelet because it has to be someone who could be a father because all that traditional stuff. And yet the story we have in the Torah um, has Zipporah doing the circumcision. That's That's quite an entry into the covenant. I mean, you know. She's certainly the hero of this story. So what did she, what did she get there? And as some of you suggested, maybe she got, she kind of tapped into it. And now we can begin to, to ask the question as we think about Sipora's somehow solving the case before it was too late. Now we can begin to ask the question, why does she keep repeating that phrase, a bridegroom of blood? A bridegroom of blood. We don't even use that word bridegroom but I like the alliteration there. I mean, it really sounds like a horror movie, like a bride of Frankenstein, a bridegroom of blood. And let's just take a look at it again, because I'd really like to hear your thoughts on this. Mm, let's just take a look at it. So Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched his legs with it, which by the way, just as a gesture, we see repeated in Leviticus around the sacrifices. So interesting. Um, and she said, Ki damim atali, atali. you are truly a bridegroom of blood to me. And when he let him alone, presumably God, or was it Moses holding him? I don't know. But when he let him alone, she added a bridegroom of blood, lamulot, because of, for the circumcision. What is she saying there? I don't know what she's, I have a read on this. I see hands up, but I don't know. I want, I want to go in this direction. Who can go in this direction? No, uh, Leah Matsui. Okay, I'm going to go in this direction. Um, it's a ring. You're creating a ring, like a wedding ring, that every child that is fathered goes through, travels through space, through that ring. Don't want to be too graphic, but everybody gets what I'm saying. To come into the world. Um, Although supposedly, you know, it's through the mother, but through a Jewish father and a Jewish mother. That's what I was told as a little child. Yeah. Okay, great, 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 great. Uh, Okay, that's good. That's good. It is, you know, it sort of speaks itself, right? Because as Leah says, you know, you just refer to the graphic and it becomes obvious sort of um, what the, the, this space, right? The, the male member and the, that being a place of reproduction. And so, so that's like at one end of, or at least in maybe in the middle of the life journey, but marking that from the start as like, oh, this, this, in this moment of, of reproduction or of successful reproduction, we will, we will establish that the covenant will continue through this member, right? And then Leah said, okay, so that's the symbolism of, like, you know, why the penis is like such a, you know, so, inv- yeah. and of course there are Freudian reads of that, but part of it is it is the place of the furthering of the covenant, your descendants, which the Torah seems so concerned with. Now, 
the bridegroom, and that's where Leah's phrase of like a ring, like a ring around your finger, but in this case, the ring around the member is a, creates the child, I guess, as the groom being married to God, the bride, I guess, right? I'm just thinking it through. Right? Who is the bride? Who's the groom? And that's one, one way of thinking about it. The child is, is the groom putting on this ring because the child is, you know, can't be the bride here. It's so clearly about the child's male, male bodiedness. And then the, the, and then God is the bride, right? Okay. That's just one read, but like now we're in really, really complicated territory. So I'll give you a little, this is just a like a little deeper down that down down that road. This is just something to see. Um, uh, uh, there there's a midrash here that um, that imagines a very. You are all are suggesting this. I'm hearing you all suggest that Moses has this Egyptian identity or foreign identity. Does not actually know that he belongs in this story. That these really are his people. That he's really fully invested. You know, maybe Tsipora also, like what conversations are they having? You know, did they have a Christmas tree? You know what I mean? In their house, like at this time of year, like conversations that exist in our own community, you know, but what, what is their relationship to this? And, um, and so this Midrash imagines a different kind of Moshe. Usually we think of Moshe as, no, he kept the faith out there somehow, even though what faith did he keep? There is no faith just, just yet. Was Moses even circumcised? you know, we, we might also ask. But okay, the tradition does go back to Abraham. But anyway, he goes to this foreign priest. He marries a foreign priest's daughter, right? In our conversations about intermarriage in our day and age, we should always start with the fact that, that our greatest prophet intermarried, okay? We should start there and then figure the rest out. But, um, but okay, here is this Midrash that imagines that thing, the way that might have gone. And I think it plays very deeply into the sort of speculation that we're doing. This is from the Michilta, um, to Rabbi Yishmael. When, when, when Moses asked Jethro to marry Zipporah, Jethro replied, if you accept one condition, then I will let you marry her. He said, what is it? The first son that you have shall be dedicated to idolatry. Yela vodazara. Mikan And any other sons you have can be dedicated to the heavenly name. Vakabelala. And Moshe accepted it. Moshe accepted it. And Moshe accepted what a only the only the Balei Midrash, only the rabbis. Nobody is as daring as the rabbis. Nobody, the, only the rabbis of the Talmudic period would say such a thing. I would never say such a thing. Moshe is like, okay, yeah, you like you know Rumpelstiltskin style. You can have my firstborn son. Idolatry. It's a very different picture of Jethro, who would usually associate with positive, like, um, outsider. And it's a very different picture of Moses. Like, sure, yeah, take the firstborn kid, right? So there, that kind of, there's a real deep imagining of Moses as the, the conflicted, the not just conflicted, but neglectful. There's that, there's that neglectful Moshe, right? And if that's what's at stake, then, then God has to, terrify Moshe. And maybe th there's something terrifying about circumcision, isn't there? There's something like dealing with actual blood as an entry into the God. 
again, I, I hate to just pass by that and not let, you know, that's uh, I'm sure a lot of you are feeling. Yeah, I am. I do think that that's a very weird way that we mark our covenant and it's gendered and it's, you know, isn't a human body perfect? I mean, you can have that. But for now, I just want to insert all of that anxiety into our conversation, right? And just to say, oh, this is, well, I mean, we're talking about attempted murder, but at least, you know, an, at least a blood, a blood drawing, right? Right. Okay. So I don't know. Where were we? <laughs> a, a bridegroom of blood. A bridegroom of blood. We're thinking about that phrase. What is a bridegroom of blood? And maybe the child is the bridegroom of, of blood who is now being married to God or to the covenant. Okay. Ariella and then Rabbi Zaki. Well, also, that way the Israelite children can then be differentiated from the Egyptian children. Because if they're going to be killing the firstborn males of the Egyptian children, how how would they know? This is good. This is this is really good because this is a good technical answer. I mean, part of what's so complicated about this discussion, I should have said this at the outset, is that we're talking about things that are incredibly um, fraught, symbolically, emotionally, viscerally, religiously, uh, you know, identity. There's so many like charged themes for us sort of psychically. And yet there's also a kind of a technical, like what is this text actually, what is going on here? And on the technical level, um, Ariella does a good job of just noting that if God said just then, I'm going to kill all the firstborn sons of Egypt, you better make sure that your children are circumcised. Um, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave off with one last story, which is that um, it's, you know, on a rainy dark day like today, I, uh, I, I tend to like wait and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not a, a tzaddik, you know, I don't present myself as any kind of religious exemplar. So I'll share with you one of my, my speaking of laziness, my lazy practices is that sometimes I'll just like mumble a quick morning prayer, but I won't put on my tefillin until, and I'll just be like, I'll do it in the afternoon. I'll put my tefillin in the afternoon, tefillin the, you know, the sign that we wear during prayer. So this is a very bad practice. Do not do as your rabbi does, but just on days like today, sometimes I'll just like, mutter a quick a quick morning prayer and then I'll get to my tefillin later and I did that today and I was sort of sleepy and and as I was going to sit down to prepare for this class I thought oh I can't I can't teach this class having not put on my tefillin this morning I just can't do it like I, that just seems dangerous not to wear the sign of the covenant on my between my my forehead and upon my arms as I go to teach about um, what happens when you don't have the other sign of the covenant? I was like, I'm just gonna run back and, and put on my tefillin and just say the blessing so that I'm so that I'm okay. So, thank God we made it through this class <laughs> um, for all the danger. And um, and and as I said at the outset, I I realized that um that there are real there are real dangers uh, in our in our world forces that we don't totally understand that that seem like they're out um, to 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 get us. And um, and so I hope we figure out as Sipora did what what we need to do in this in this dark and mysterious time um, to stay safe um, to 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 make it to make it where we're going um, and to find to find redemption on the other side. Um, I, we will be off for two weeks. We're going to take a two week break here. I meaning I'm going to take a two week break here, and so um, we'll come back and start learning again the second uh, the second week of of January. I wish you all 
um, a happy, happy new, new year, new calendar year. And, uh, and I hope you're able to enjoy a little bit of break in the, in the, in the, the safest and most joyous way that you can. Stay healthy, everybody. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.